DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Chapter 9, The International Community. As related in the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, can we be isolationists? Okay. Well, no. I mean, that's the thing, as we've talked about in Catholic, in the series, Catholic Social Teaching, the church finds itself kind of in the middle of extremes, where you have some people who are calling for isolationism, we don't want anything to do with the rest of the world, uh, and those on the other side who are saying that uh, we want one world government, some sort of grand socialist utopia. You know, the church rejects both those extremes. As with uh, all these chapters, uh, with the compendium, this starts first with our faith and, and scriptural teaching and revelation, and we learn from the Old Testament and the New Testament that God does desire a unity for us because we are all made in the same image and likeness. There's this wonderful sense, even in the Old Testament, which I don't think we talk about very often, but you hear it in Isaiah, you see it in the Psalms, and in the other wisdom literature, that God desires that all nations come to him. I mean, the, the Israelite people were the chosen people, not because they were the only people God loved. They were chosen for a specific task. That task was to bring the rest of the world to God, to Yahweh, to the Almighty. That's why Israel was chosen. So as we approach this question of, of the, the international question, of the international community, we have to understand that part of God's plan from the very beginning was that we all come together as one uh, under him and in worship of him. I'm glad you brought up those teachings in the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the Old Testament, because they speak to us and lay foundational principles mm. that are important for us to really grasp. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from uh, when you look at the prophets about the purpose of a state and the purpose of, of how we ought to look for the poor, etc., we, we learn so much of Catholic social teaching from them, and they, they give us so many of those principles, including these principles about uh, being a family of nations. I mean, we, when we look at the, the promise made to, to Abraham, he's the father of a multitude of nations. I mean, that it's not an accident, I don't think, that the Islam and Judaism and Christianity all claim the same father in Abraham. Using that as a, as a sort of launching pad then for this approach to the international community helps us understand that there is a commonality amongst all of us that, that we can appeal to when trying to figure out uh, how, to, how best to try to create a, a world of peace. We have to appreciate the relationship aspect too, don't we? I mean, oh, that yeah. is really, really key, that the rootedness of not only the domestic church, the domestic family, mm -hmm. but the family of God. And that's one another reason why that connectedness to the teachings of the, of the Old Testament are brought forward in the compendium. Yeah, exactly. The, 
that that connection between the work of the family and the broader family is what the Old Testament and New Testament sort of bring out for us, and that's what the posts have been talking about. The the compendium quotes Pope John the Twenty Third that talks about the unity of the holy family has always existed because its members are human beings, all equal by virtue of their natural dignity. Hence, there will always exist the objective need to promote, in sufficient measure, the universal common good, which is the common good of the entire human family. That comes from his wonderful encyclical piece on earth, uh, Pachamenteris, that's John the 23rd. So family, right, that little cell, the domestic church, exists uh, or has an outward extrinsic end, which is to bring about or to recognize, to help facilitate the unification of the broader international human family, because we, we really are all brothers and sisters. And this goes back to that principle we've brought up a number of times, that principle of solidarity. When John Paul II says, we are all really responsible for all, he can say that because we are responsible for our family members, because they are our brothers and sisters, not just in Christ, but in nature. They, they, they have the same nature we do. God created them in the same manner, and so we should recognize that unity with them and never forget it. It talks about a universal vocation of Christianity. Now, that is is something I don't think we've ever touched upon. We talk about our vocations as individuals, and Mm -hmm. maybe individual Christians, Mm -hmm. but a universal vocation for Christianity? Right. I mean, why does the church exist? What's the purpose of the church? One of the struggles I've had with some social justice teaching and, and, and certain veins within the social teaching is, is this argument that the church exists to bring about uh, peace on earth or the church exists to bring about an end to unjust socioeconomic situations. And while certainly the church worked towards that, that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to bring all men and women into heaven. That's, that's why the church exists. And so that effort is a universal call that the church exists for. Now, we are part of the church. Every single individual Catholic and Christian is part of the church, baptized into that body of Christ. And part of the reason we're about, we we learn this in the the beautiful Sacrament of Confirmation. This is what we learn in the Sacrament of Confirmation, that we're not just members, but we're we're witnesses to the faith, that we have a call, an obligation to go out and try to bring more people closer into the one universal community. So it is it's not just a, a private vocation, uh, but a universal vocation, and, and how that fits in is that no, no matter what vocation we have, whether it's the, the married life or to, to the single life or to the religious life, etc., we all share the same vocation of trying to bring about uh, a more peaceful, just society, of trying to bring about the society that can bring more people into heaven. Words matter, in that if something is brought forward by the church, particularly in its writings, even in the compendium, that we need to weigh the weight of that word. And when we see a word such as rule, when there is fundamental rules of the international community, that means there's obligation on our part, doesn't it? That's right. We have rights, but we also have obligations and responsibilities. Um, And so the rules can involve respecting the rights of individuals, uh, the rights to life and, and, and to liberty, religious liberty, et cetera, but they also include responsibilities, and you mentioned before this is part of the aspect of relationship. Every relationship has rules to it. Every relationship has, has rights, but also responsibilities uh, that go along with it. Uh, and so because of that, we have responsibilities, and we go into the international community, and part of that is, is reflected in, in what the Compendium talks about, the effective universal common good, knowing what that means and understanding that 
no matter what our nationality might be, our ideology, our political philosophy, our cultural proclivities, which are, are wonderful and variant and different, and the compendium is very clear, there should be different cultures. The, the, the different cultures bring beautiful things to different people, and those should be protected. Nevertheless, there are some fundamental rules and responsibilities that go towards trying to bring about the common good. And as we talked about before with the common good, how can we possibly work toward the common good if we have no sense of what's true and good and right and just and beautiful? And so uh, that's why things like education are important as part of the fundamental rights and the common good. So the the compendium uh, talks about the common good as not becoming a reality because of materialism or because of nationalistic ideologies, but rather as a part of a, a concerted effort for the care of others and also concerted effort to, to understand that we're spiritual beings as well. The common good involves not just material development, but also the recognition that there's a place for God in society and religious liberty. For the person who proclaims that they are a Catholic, mm. that they realize that the term Catholic means universal. That's right. It's important that that Catholic expression of faith is not one that is just one that feeds ourselves or our immediate vocation, maybe it's our family, a domestic church, but that also connects us to the universal, to the international. Yes, absolutely. The international aspect can be a very much a challenge in each country. I just don't want to pick on America. No. Right. And, uh, you know, when we, even that sense of Catholic and universal you can understand universal in the sense that, you know, I don't know, McDonald's are now universal. I mean, you can find them anywhere in the world, in Rome, in China, whatever. That's not what we mean by universal. We mean universal in the sense that human nature is universal because it's one thing. Human nature is one thing, and it's found in every human person. And so in that way, it's universal. In the same way, the church is universal. It's one thing everywhere, and it's the same here as it is in China. It's the same thing. It's not a branch. It's not a franchise. It's not a... The, the local manifestation of it, it's, it's the same one thing. And that one thing, that unity in the universality is the thing that maybe we don't always emphasize so much. We tend to think of ourselves as sort of individuals or individual groups, or, which is fine. There's nothing wrong necessarily with that. But we forget that there's a unity there that needs to be uh, emphasized as well. Uh, and so because of that, the, protecting that unity, talking about that, that relational responsibility that we have is part of what the social teaching wants to emphasize here with the, with the international community, because it's only too simple to, to, to claim our rights, right? Uh, but it's, 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 it's harder to focus people on our responsibilities and, and recognizing the responsibilities are rooted in, in the unity that exists between human beings. And this is why the compendium is going to go on to talk about when we're talking about rules and regulations and responsibilities, to talk about an international rule of law. This starts to get people all kinds of worried and scared and, and, and wondering, okay, are you talking about one world order here, etc.? Uh, no, it's simply to recognize that if there are rights, if there are responsibilities, then we need rules, laws that are recognized by everybody to help defend and maintain those rights. It's the same principle we use in the family in the city, in the county, in the state, in the, in the government, in the state government, as we use in the international order. There are rights and responsibilities that have to be guided and checked and run and maintained by laws. And for that reason, therefore, we need bodies to help enforce and track those laws. The establishment of those laws and 
their implementation is always kept in check by a moral foundation, a, a microscope that the church will use in examining those before they're lifted up as something worthy of an international participation. Right. And that, that microscope uh, focuses in on how it affects the least of these. That microscope looks on how it affects the fundamental dignity of the human person. That microscope includes, right, the lens for the microscope is the lens of subsidiarity. That is that, sure, you can have these international laws, but they have to be, you know, for the sake of solidarity, but they have to be viewed or checked or drafted with subsidiarity in mind. And to remind listeners, of subsidiarity is that principle that, that talks about the the rights of those at the lowest level of authority, so that the international laws ought not be taking the authority or taking the responsibility away from state governments or counties or cities or districts or families, God forbid. It ought to, those laws ought to facilitate, ought to help local organizations fulfill their own responsibilities. That's what solidarity in light of subsidiarity looks like, to remind them to facilitate, to maintain the structure so that you can fulfill your own responsibilities, not to take your responsibilities from you. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. There may be some that would continue to rail against church participation in those political institutions, political structures, which help establish those international laws. Yes, and this is extreme. This is this is exactly why the the church teaches that when we look at these international institutions and organizations, etc., they have to be guided uh, more than than by ideology. They can't be necessarily guided by only national interest. They have to be guided by what the church is going to call in other places an objective moral order. You can call it the natural law. You can call it any number of various things. But these these international organizations, whether or not they be uh, governmental organizations. We talk about non-governmental organizations, NGOs. Uh, they're, a, they're good things. They're, they're a help and an aid. They're intermediary institutions that help bring about the common good. But all of them, whether they belong to the government or, or not, if they're an NGO or, or the, in a state, they have to follow an objective moral order. And that objective moral order is how we determine whether or not we're actually functioning towards the common good or not. Uh, that has to be the standard. Which therefore means, right, that if if you're the Catholic who says there's no such thing as an objective good, or that your truth is as good as my truth, or that we can't possibly judge the, the rightness or wrongness of another culture, then you're already off on the wrong track, right? Because truth exists. Right and wrong does exist. Uh, these rules do actually, an objective moral order actually does exist. And if we, we, we aim to defend the rights of the, of the poor, then we have to believe in truth and the common good and, and, and a right and wrong that we can apply internationally and nationally and locally. In the compendium, it talks about a harmony between the judicial and moral orders. Talk to us about that. You would think that they would be in harmony. It should be something that is easily established and maintained. Right, but in this increasingly secular world, this is becoming more and more difficult because the judicial and moral orders go off in their different directions. More and more judicial orders, that is, orders that deal with the the civics, the laws, the the making of laws and judging about interpretation of law, um, they they adopt uh, ideological positions, different understandings of the nature of the human person. We remember the famous case here in the United States. uh, I believe it was the case against Casey versus Planned Parenthood, where a Supreme Court justice talked about the meaning of life as being the pursuit of really whatever you like. I don't remember the language exactly. And sadly, uh, you know, that took the day as, as the, the meaning <laughs> for, for that case. Judges shouldn't be making up moral order in that way or redefining the nature of the human person in such, such a fashion because when we do, we lose the very ability to defend the poor and the weak uh, when we start making truth relativistic. Uh, the compendium in paragraph 436 about an objective moral order, this natural law that has to be the grammar. I like that that phrase the companion uses, is the grammar for international discussions. We can talk about the, the good the UN does and the importance of, of international organizations that bring different nation-states together. But if there is no fundamental grammar by which we can appeal or to which we can appeal, dialogue is impossible. Right? Dialogue is impossible if we're not even speaking the same language. Uh, and this is why an objective moral order a harmony between the juridical and moral orders is crucial and important for any real effort towards international peace and justice. Is it wrong for the church then to implore its members 
to speak out when there is that violation between the two or should it remain silent and maybe speak only what they would say maybe in its writings and documents and I, Help me out with that, Omar. I mean, there is there is a, a fine line, isn't there? Yeah, and there is a little bit of a tension, uh, you know, given the, the the history of the world and even the history of the church, for instance, in medieval Europe. There is a tension between the church or, or religions uh, getting too involved in in international or national politics. But there is also, of course, the example we've had of the 20th century, where uh, churches and, and religions had no involvement in international politics or, or in, in national policy. And we've, we've seen the, the utter devastation and the, the, the grinding uh, poverty that comes from that kind of devastation in the 20th and, and into the 21st century. Uh, so the tension exists, but, uh, but it doesn't mean we can uh, jettison what is an authentic and important role of the church. The church teaches that it has a, a necessary role and on the international stage to try to bring people's attention back to the moral order because that that's why and how the church exists the states have the tendency right to 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 function according to power and efficiency uh, well power and efficiency don't help always don't always speak clearly for the poor and the weak and the needy uh, which is why you have non-governmental organizations and why you have the church, but the wonderful thing about the church, which is not an NGO, as Pope Francis has said, the wonderful thing about the church is that we're guided not just by an ideology or ideals; we're guided by God Himself. We're guided by the Author of humanity Himself, and for that very reason, we have not just the right but the obligation to have an, a national and international uh, position, a voice to speak out against injustice, but also a, a national, international uh, role to play in bringing about peace and justice. So we think of, for instance, the experience of Pope Benedict XV uh, during World War I, who had, was desperately trying to get both sides to avoid war and to bring the war to an end, and both sides rejected him and his overtures to try to bring about peace because they felt, if you're not on our side, you must be for the other side. And as a result, the church and the wisdom of the church was, was uh, left out uh, after the First World War. And they were not invited to be part of the League of Nations. And the League of Nations, the treaty that was signed after that, the Treaty of Versailles, you know, terribly punished the people of Germany, which ended up then eventually leading to the Second World War. So th the church has a role and a voice to play that's positive for the cause of peace. An area that I think really needs to be broken open and a lot of light shined on so people can see things clearly, is the area of development and involvement in what the Holy See and we, even locally, are called to in contributing and helping out those in need. Yeah. Uh, the way the Companion talks about it is the uh, call for an international cooperation for development. And by development... Uh, the, the church means uh, the material, social, cultural development uh, of nations that are underdeveloped. We've, we use the terminology in those first world countries and third world countries. The church usually tends to refer to you know, developed and underdeveloped nations. And so uh, what the compendium is talking about is the obligations and the part of nations and the individuals, Catholics especially, right, about working towards the development of, of all peoples, of all nations, because um, the premise here is that the fact that we have nations where 
Uh, children die of starvation with regularity, uh, where infant mortality rates are particularly high, uh, where women are abused or seen as chattel and, and various things. Those sorts of situations ought not exist. And we have a moral obligation as a people and as individuals to try to rectify those situations, to try to bring about greater development for those countries. Now, how that happens, well, that's a question that Catholics can discuss and, and argue about you know, civilly, but that we have a moral obligation to, to seek out a way to fix those problems and to deal with the ramifications of those problems today, right now, in our, in our, in our lives and our societies, that moral obligation exists. That brings up issues like uh, immigration and migration. It brings up issues like uh, uh, foreign aid. I mean, the, this is sort of the nitty-gritty, rubber-hits-the-road sort of stuff about Catholic social teaching that often gets people kind of riled up. The key is to go to our foundational principles first and foremost, and they are, real quick, just outline. Sure. Uh, they are the common good, the universal destination of goods, subsidiarity, participation, and solidarity. Uh, and you can go to previous episodes of this series to learn more about those in depth. Uh, but the common good, again, recognizes that we have this sort of universal cause we talked about in the last episode to bring about the situations that allow people to reach human flourishing. The universal destination of goods, which is particularly key here with regard to this international development, the universal destination of goods argues that God wanted everybody to have enough stuff to live, right? I don't think any Catholic would argue with the idea that God desires that everybody have enough food to eat, that everybody have a, you know, access to basic health care, that everybody have access to basic education, so literacy, that everybody have access to potable water. I hope no Catholic would argue against that notion. God desires all those things. So if that's true, and, and we believe it is, then, then what are we doing to help make God's desire a reality in this world? And don't we have an obligation to try to do that? Certainly God wants us to do something. We don't necessarily mean you know, dropping everything and moving to Africa to build a well, but it may mean you know, seeking out the organization in your local area that does do that. And, and helping to donate or helping to facilitate or, 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 uh, or just raising awareness of the, of the people in Africa who are suffering or welcoming the stranger in our neighborhood who's come here as an immigrant who needs help. All those things are things we could be doing to answer what we know God really desires. On the individual level, it could be said that it's easier for us to respond one-on-one mm-hmm. because we do as... You have taught us from previous episodes to stop, to pray, mm-hmm. to ask the Lord, what can I do in this moment? What is? It, what are you calling me to do, how to respond? Where it can become very messy and difficult to continue to understand is when it gets larger. Mm-hmm. And when we, we talk about a city response, a state response to an issue, and then the national response in an international situation. Right. Those are the areas where the, for me and for many of the, of the average Catholic pew person, that we almost want to just turn away from that because it's, it can become bigger than our vision. Right. And, and you know what? It is. It is bigger than our vision. And so we don't have to feel, I think, guilty about the fact that we've, we feel anxious about that or... Or somehow we're not being uh, a proper Christian because because we have that t- 
tendency to sort of shy away from it. It is daunting. It is scary. It's intimidating. It's anxiety-driven. I mean, I feel those things too. The question is, what do we do with that anxiety and that fear and that tension? And, and with all things, Christ calls us to bring that to him, to bring that to him so that he can transform it into something beautiful. So that when we have the anxiety about, well, what do I need to do? What should I do? When I, the, the visiting priest in the, this summer came to my parish and, and he's from Africa and he talks about the, thing, the, the sufferings of the people there, what, what am I being called to do? Take that to prayer. And allow yourself to, to, to hear what Christ is calling you to do. And it may be something relatively simple, but it may be something challenging. Uh, it may be something that, that takes you out of your comfort zone, but trust in him. Root that in him, right? Uh, don't work out of guilt or fear or anxiety, because that is probably a good sign that it's not good for you. In the concluding moments of this particular episode, any final thoughts? I think it's very important that as we as Catholics consider what things should be on our hearts, what things we should be praying for, what things we should be fasting uh, uh, over, that we remember the, the international uh, reality, the, the international needs and, and wants, because those things going on uh, in Africa and in India and in Syria and in Latin America, those things do affect us, if not physically, materially, they affect us certainly spiritually. And so... I encourage all Catholics to remind themselves, to interject within their regular prayer lives, prayers for the international community, prayers for those suffering all over, and prayers for the Church and the Holy Father who who represents the Church for the whole world. It's beautiful, you know, when Pope Benedict stepped down and Pope Francis became Pope, or even when Pope John Paul II died, so many non-Catholics were involved in that experience and claimed our, our popes as their own. And that's because there is a role to play, uh, not just a material one, but a, but a spiritual one. And we need to always remember that. Thank you, Omar. You're welcome. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.